Thank you, Sweeney. Good, uh, what is this? Afternoon. Thank you, uh, Kaylee. Thank you. It's very much of a blessing. Thank you. Thank you, Lorna. It's really wonderful. I'm uh, very thankful to be with you here today. Um, I love this season, um, but I also know that for you to come to a women's tea on what is one of the main shopping days <laughs> that you have before the holiday actually hits is a um, little bit of a sacrifice for you to do that. And so thank you for taking the time to be here, whatever it is that you had to do to get here today. Thank you for doing that. I trust that the Lord is going to use our time together to remind us, you and I, of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Because we, all of us, have a propensity, don't we, to get sort of wrapped up in... um, all of the things that we have to do, and uh, it's, it's very easy for us to, you know, we're pulling all the boxes out of the garage of all of our stuff and trying to figure out who we're going to give what to and all of that sort of business, and it's very easy for us to lose sight of what it is that we're actually doing here, and um, you know, we, we all militate against the commercialization of Christmas, right? We don't like that. But then the real question is, what is Christmas? What's Christmas all about? And I know if I asked you, you would say, well, it's, you know, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And yes, that's true. But I want to I try to bring that home to you a little bit because I think particularly for the, those of you who... Um, who have lived your whole Christian life in America, it's really easy for you to say, yeah, well, you know, I know what Christmas is about, and, uh, you know, it's the, little, it's the little manger scene, and the baby in the manger, and isn't he cute, and all of that sort of business. And then to really f- sort of lose the awe of what this holiday really says. Lose the, the wonder of it. Lose the amazement of it. And what God did in sending his son. It's just amazing when you think about the incarnation. And what the incarnation means is incarnation, incarnate. That God, <laughs> the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who did not have a body, a physical body. God the Son, who never had a physical body, um, humbled himself. I mean, I don't think we, I don't think we really get, a, I don't think we really get that. That God the Son humbled himself and allowed himself to be made an embryo in a young woman about Kaylee's age. It's amazing. 
humble, young, little woman from a backwater little town that God the Son, by whose word all the worlds were formed, God the Son, who always lived in perfect fellowship with his Father and the angels in heaven eternally, was consigned to the darkness of Mary's womb and became a human. And it's very easy for us, isn't it, to walk by a little manger scene and say, oh, look, there's little baby Jesus, isn't he cute? And not really have, and, and, and have that not have the impact to us that it should have. When you see that baby in the manger, your, your brain should just go, I mean, it should, it should shock you. Does the manger shock you? That's what it should do. Because God, the Son, <coughs> became man. And why? What, what's the reason? Why does it matter? Matthew one twenty one tells us, she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You see, the whole point of God the Son becoming, humbling himself and becoming man was for one reason. One reason. And it was to save us from our sins. God the Son comes to earth to save us from their sins. Now, this gift is utterly astounding. But we grow so very familiar with it, don't we? I mean, are you astonished? I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to ask that the Lord helps you be astonished. Because I'll tell you what, the church in the New Testament was shocked. (laughs) And those shepherds were shocked and the angels were amazed and it's so easy for it to become sort of hackneyed oh yeah manger whatever so let's pray together pray with me now would you please heavenly father We thank you that you have made truth very abundant to us and that, it, and that it is part of maybe even in some ways still our culture to think about Christmas and manger scenes. So we thank you for that, but Father, we pray that you would help us now by your Holy Spirit to see something else here that we have not seen perhaps in quite a while, that maybe we've never seen, and that you would make us truly grateful, Lord, especially this season, today, this season, that you would make us truly grateful for Jesus Christ and what he's done, and that we would, every time 
when we see a manger scene or get a Christmas card or even go shopping, that we would remember the gift you've given, which is that you sent your son to take away sin. Father, I confess I would not have done that. But you did that. And not for people who were beautiful and nice and lovely, and, but for people who were your enemies, who were weak, who were sinners. You sent your son to take away sin. Thank you, you've taken away our sin. May we be truly grateful today, this season. Lord, eternally make us truly grateful for what he's done. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we should be amazed that God would come to us in this form. And God the Son is a great king, and we sang a little bit about him being a great king. And you would think that a great king would come to us looking like a great king. But instead, he comes to us looking like the illegitimate son, right? The illegitimate son of a young girl from a backwater town in a pretty nothing nation. That's how he comes. And he comes silently in the night. He comes humbly, hidden, hidden. See, that's, it's so different than how we think God ought to show up on the scene. Now, there will come a day when God will show up on the scene the way we think God ought to show up on the scene. And when he shows up the next time, everybody's going to see him and every knee will bow and he will rend the heavens and he will come to us and nobody's going to say, I wonder if that's God or not. But this first time, he comes to us so quietly. And yes, there's great rejoicing, but look who's doing the rejoicing. I mean, the rejoicing isn't going on with the power brokers. The rejoicing's going on with the shepherds out in the field and the angels and pagan wise men. So he comes to us as an infant who needs nursing and needs having his diaper changed. See, the one who is holding, and you know that Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man. He is the God-man. And so in his deity, he continues to hold together all of creation, and yet he has to be nursed and have his diaper changed. He had to learn how to speak Hebrew. He didn't automatically know all the languages. He had to learn how to read. His mother and father disciplined him unjustly on at least one occasion that we know of. He lived as a child. 
And this season reminds us of that. So then what does that incarnation, and again, what that word means, the incarnation, is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and not just sort of hanging out with people, but he becomes one of us. So the incarnation tells us some things about ourselves. It tells us things about him, but it also tells us things about ourselves. It tells us, first of all, that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. Now I'm going to unpack that a little bit. How many, how many commands are there really in the Bible? I mean, you know, Jesus boiled them down to how many? Two. And I mean, there's 10 commandments, but the 10 can even be boiled down to two. What are they? Love God, love your neighbor. Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength 24-7. See, that's why you need a savior. (laughs) Right? Because even if you do love God, and I assume you do love God, unless, you know, you're your mom made you come here today or your girlfriend said, come on, I want to go. And you're, you know, not really sure if you want to be here or not, but I mean, I'm assuming that on a Saturday in December, you're not going to burn for hours or so unless you have a love for God, right? Do you love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength 24 seven answer? Don't anybody say yes. <laughs> no. You know what the reality is? None of us does that. None of us has ever loved God with every single thought, with every desire. None of us have have ever done everything we had to do during the day with one motive, which is not... I hope I get through the day and I'm able to approve of myself. Or I hope I get through the day and I don't feel badly about how I acted toward my kids. Or the one thought that Jesus had is, he said, I always do what is pleasing to my father. Always. Always. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Jesus Christ loved God with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and none of us does that. Not only do we not do that, but then there's that second thing, which is love your neighbor. Now, I've been saved for about 40 years, which makes me basically older than dirt. And I figured out fairly early on I didn't I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a very secular home. And I didn't come to Christ until right before my 21st birthday, which now you're trying to figure out I'm 61. So, um I came to Christ right before my 21st birthday and I um I hadn't been a Christian but maybe 6 months or so when it became abundantly clear that Christianity would be easy if it weren't for other people. (laughs) Right? Okay, so if all I have to do is sort of, like, sort of serve God, 
and I don't have to love you, I'm good to go, (laughs) right? And the problem is not, you know, of course, that um, I need to love myself more so I can love you. That's really not the problem. The problem is I already love myself too much, and I really don't like you at all. (laughs) Now, that's not true that I don't like you, but you understand what I'm saying. Because if I did, if I knew you, I would just love you. I just know. (laughs) So what's our problem? You see, we have to have somebody come who's going to save us from our sins. Why? Because we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. Can I tell you that that's good news? Now, it seems like bad news. (laughs) But it's kind of the good bad news. And it's good news for this reason. You can stop pretending. (laughs) Right? I don't have to be Mrs. Perfect to you. And you don't have to be that with anybody else. Why? Because Jesus came to save me from my sin. So I can stop pretending that I don't sin. And I can stop... Playing that game with my friends or my children or my husband like, oh, I can't, I'm not going to, I'm not ever going to admit that I'm wrong. I can, I can stop that. And I can be free, ultimately free, not, not just to sort of sin in any way I want, not just to sin willy-nilly, Not to be cavalier about sin, but I can be free to admit that I need a savior. Isn't that what it means to be a Christian? Isn't it really? What it means to be a Christian is that Christ has rescued you from your sin. So what that means is I can stop pretending and I can stop demanding that you respect me. Or plain like everything has to go well all the time. I'm a sinner. So the incarnation tells me that I'm more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. And I don't need just a little nice advice. See, I don't, I don't, need, <laughs> I don't need the sort of therapist in the sky. I don't need Dr. Phil in the sky to come and tell me how to get, you know, here's the five steps for you to get your act together. Because I'm more, I'm in more desperate trouble than that. And I'm not saying, you know, there's some problem with Dr. Phil. That's not the point. The point is, I, I, don't, I don't need five steps to a better me because I can't use them. I need somebody to save me from my sin and not just to tell me how to live more selfishly but to be better at it. Does that make sense? So Jesus has to come and he has to do more than just give me advice. He doesn't come as a philosopher. He doesn't come as Dr. Phil. He comes as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's who he comes as. And from the first instant that he drew his breath, the point of his life was to die for your sin. That was his goal. See, we need a savior. 
And we need a savior because we do not obey. We don't love. Don't love God. Not like we should. Don't love our neighbor. So what does he do? Jesus becomes like us. This is becoming more and more um, shocking to me in my life. How much Jesus Christ became like me. You know, as a child, again, he had to, he had to learn how to speak Hebrew. He had to learn how to read. Think of that. He, had to, he didn't automatically know how to read. I mean, he wasn't magic. He was completely human. So he had to learn how to read. He had to learn how to get along with his brothers and sisters. And when his sister bonked him on the head with a piece of wood, he learned not to hit her back. He never did hit her back. He was sinless. But he learned. See, that's why there's that passage in Hebrews about Jesus learning obedience through the things he suffered. See, Jesus had to learn just like we do, and he had to become just like us. He had to put on human flesh. You see, God, the Son, in heaven could not die, right? Could not die. So he had to become human in order to die. Romans 8.34 says, who is to condemn? Here's the question. Who can condemn you? The answer is no one, not if I'm in Christ. Who is con- to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who was raised and uh, who died. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. And what is he doing right now? Yes, yeah, interceding for us. See, he takes on human flesh and he lives a completely human life so that everything you go through in your life in some way he has gone through. So he lives as a infant, as a toddler, as a young child, He has a family. He lives as a teenager. (laughs) Perfectly, sinlessly, understands everything it means to be that age. Works in his family business. Um, We believe that Joseph probably died fairly early on. And he had to take care of the family. You know, do you, do you ever feel sort of pressed upon because it's all, it's all on you to take care of the family because you don't, you, you got to bear all this responsibility? See, Jesus knows exactly what that is because he did that. And then he goes through the temptation in the wilderness with Satan who tempts him in every way as we are tempted You're hungry? Turn those stones into bread. Show off a little. Take care of yourself. Jesus says, no. 
Not going to do that. And in every one of those temptations from the pinnacle of the temple, throw yourself off, to Satan just saying to him, just give me a little worship. If you give me a little worship, I'll give you all the world. And Jesus says no. See, he's tempted at the very beginning of his ministry, and then he spends three and a half years This is probably not the way you want to hear this, but he spends three and a half years with the 12 morons. (laughs) I don't mean to be terribly disrespectful, but the reality is they never got it. Did they? They never understood. And that's why at the end of his ministry, they're fighting about who gets to be greatest. And he keeps saying to them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be turned over to the leaders and to the Romans. I'm going to be turned over to them and I'm going to die. And they're squabbling about who gets to be greatest. They didn't understand. They never really understood until after the resurrection. So he goes and he spends three and a half years with them, pouring out his life into them, being righteous for them, fulfilling all the law in their place. He goes and he does that. Do you have friends who misunderstand you? Have you uh, ever been accused of doing something you didn't do? Misunderstood? Uh, ostracized. See, Jesus knows exactly what that is. He walked through that. He spent three and a half years with men who would, in his hour of need, when he said, my soul is grieved to the point of death, please stay with me and pray. And what did they do? They slept. They slept. And he was alone. Do you feel isolated? Do you feel alone? Do you feel like nobody understands? Do you feel like you're bearing things? You know, that's, Jesus has done it all. You see, Jesus had to do all of that because he had to fulfill all righteousness. He had to obey every law in every situation for you so that he could die in your place and bear your sin. Save you from your sin. So, he dies. And then, he's resurrected on the third day by the power of God. And then he ascends into heaven. And he doesn't, when he gets to heaven, kind of like, you know how when you, you know, you've, you've gone through a, a hard time and you've done a lot of work and you get to the end of the big long job and you go, okay, cool, now it's me time. Do you ever feel that way? You know, like I've been working really hard and now I got that whole big hard work thing done. I'm going to take a little me time. See, Jesus doesn't have me time. Because you know what he's doing right now? He's still incarnate. And you need to understand that. When he took on flesh at Bethlehem, he never sort of sheds that flesh. He continues as the ascended incarnate son. 
And in doing that, what he's doing right now is he's not saying, well, you know, I've done my work and they can handle it now. I've given them everything they need. I'm going to have just a little time, me and my father, we're just going to have a good time. No, what he's doing right now is he's continuing to bear you on his heart. He is praying for you. He's praying for you. Can you imagine? Think about what you're going through that's difficult. You know what you can say? Lord, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to work this out. But I know you're praying for me. Right now, you're praying for me. And you won't let me. You won't let me fall. He was made able to die just like us, and he still carries our flesh. This is an eternal incarnation. But let me tell you something that's a little bit different. When you get to heaven, you're going to have this perfect body. Woo! <laughs> you get to heaven, you're going to have a perfect body, right? Jesus, in his glorified body, his body will be different than yours. And the reason his body will be different than yours is he's the only one that's going to bear scars in heaven. Do you know why he's still going to bear scars in heaven? So that you can look at him and say, you did that for me. Thank you. See, when we see Jesus in the book of Revelation or in other places, we see him as a lamb slain. That, that trial that he went through is not going to be all washed away there. We're still going to see it. See, he shares our weaknesses and he sympathizes with us. Hebrews 4.15 We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. See, you know what? Please. Jesus is not just my example. Jesus is not just your example. He is your example. But he's not just your example. He has walked through everything you've walked through. And yes, he's done that perfectly. He is your example, but he's not just your example. He's also given to you his righteousness. He's not just your example. He's also your righteousness. We're going to talk about that. But I just want you to think. He's been tempted in every respect been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. Perfect? Perfectly. So when his disciples were sleeping, when he was in Gethsemane, writhing in pain, and he was writhing in pain in Gethsemane, not because he feared the nail and the lash and the sword. That's not why Jesus was suffering in Gethsemane. Jesus was suffering in Gethsemane because something was coming towards him that he had never experienced. Do you know what it was? The wrath of God for sin. So here's Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who's always had this perfect 
beautiful, loving relationship with his father who he knows that in a very short amount of time, all of our sin, God's judgment for all of our sin is going to be placed upon him and the wrath of God is going to be poured out on his head. For us. See, what Jesus in the manger should say to you is we deserve wrath and somebody to stand in our place. And that's what Christ has done. Although we deserve his wrath, we've been given his righteousness. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Romans 3, 21 and 22 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How do you become righteous? I'm asking you, how do you become righteous? Is it by working hard? Is it by um, keeping the Ten Commandments? Being good? How do you become righteous? Right, through faith in Christ alone. You can become righteous through faith alone. You are righteous through faith alone, not by your own works. Not by your own works, but because he was righteous in your place. So you become, you are given the righteousness of God. Now, that's, see, that's what Romans 3.22 says. Listen again. We have been given the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, look at the person next to you and say, I, I, you, (laughs) not I, me, I have the righteousness of God. (laughs) That's a little edgy, isn't it? I mean, it feels like I ought to be able to say you have the, if you believe you have the righteousness of God, right? I mean, it's easy for me to say you have the righteousness of God if you believe, but for me to say it about me, see, because I live in my skin and I know what goes on in my heart and not just what goes on in my heart, what comes flying out of my mouth, right? Do you believe that you have the righteousness of God? Of God. Now, I'm going to ask you. If you believe that you have the righteousness of God, has that worked to free you from trying to justify yourself in front of people? His blood is shed for you. Yes, it is. But do you defend yourself in front of people and say, see, has it freed you from having to always prove something about yourself? That's what it should do. It should make you free from always having to try to prove something about yourself. You have the righteousness of God. The God-man has to die in our place. And in order for him to die, he has to be the baby. The baby 
In a human form, he has to come to us like that or he can't die. See, what a gift from the very beginning Jesus Christ was meant as a sacrificial lamb born to die in our place. He had to be made man so that he could die. His mission was to do what we could not do. And not only could we not do it, here's the reality, we wouldn't do it. See, not only could we not take away our own sin, but if God doesn't work in our heart, we wouldn't even want to do it. I mean, you know, we do want to be able to approve of ourselves, but to actually be holy and pure? So that's why Matthew one twenty one is so important for us during the holidays. You see, she... Mary will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save. See, he will save. Who saves you? Jesus. Sometimes we feel like we have to save ourselves. Or we think we have to save our children. He saves. Salvation is of the Lord. He will save his people from their sins. Now, that... What I said to you about you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, that's the first part of an equation. Let me tell you the second part of the equation now, because that's the good bad news. It is good news, though, right? Because the good news is I can stop pretending. It's really nice, actually, to be free. So I can stop pretending. That's the good bad news. But the good good news is... Not only are you more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but you are more loved and welcomed than you ever dared hope. Now that is a hallelujah. See, yes, you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. And I mean a lot more sinful than you think you are. Right? Just ask the people who live with you. They know. Sometimes I go through a time in my life where God is very kind to begin to reveal sin in my life and I see myself more clearly as what I am. And I'm more sinful and flawed than I ever dare believe. The wonderful thing about the gospel and knowing that I'm, I have the righteousness of God is that I'm a lot more free now to admit that. Because I'm not trying to protect anything. But not only am I more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe or would allow myself to believe or even would, would be able to think, you mean I'm really that unloving? I'm really that? I'm really that selfish? I'm really that self-centered? I'm really that ungrateful? I, 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 I'm freer to admit that now and not spend hours and hours in self-condemnation. Why? Because I'm righteous. I have the righteousness of God. So not only am I more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe, but I'm also more loved and welcome than I ever dared hope. And that's such great news. I have six grandchildren, and I have the microphone, so I get to talk about them. Um, Five of my grandchildren all live together in what we call the 
Plague Kid Mansion um, because they all, uh, my daughter Jessica is um, helping, She, her family is helping my son Joel who is in seminary get through seminary and so they all live together in this gigantic big house. And on Tuesdays I go down there and Sometimes they see me coming up the road, you know, before I, before I even pull down the driveway. And they'll see me, and, and I can see them just running. They just run, right? They run, they're, they're waiting. They're waiting for Mimi to get down the driveway, so I open the door, so they run and jump, right? Mimi's here, Mimi's here, Mimi. I mean, that's what goes on, isn't it? I mean, throughout the house, Mimi's here. Now, let me tell you what they don't do. When they see my car, they don't run in the house and check to make sure they don't have peanut butter and jelly on their face. Right? And they don't run in the house and make sure their fingernails are clean and their hair is brushed and they're presentable. They really don't care what they're wearing. What they want to do is come and jump on me. You know why? Because they know I love them. How would your relationship with your Heavenly Father change if you thought your Heavenly Father loved you like that? That you didn't have to sort of get your act together and get yourself all cleaned up and get yourself, you know, presentable and get your list done, you know your list? You know, I got to do this and this and this and this and if I don't do these things, I'm not really sure God's happy to see me. That whole thing? So you jettison that whole thing. And you say, I'm going to be like a little child. And I'm going to run and jump. Peanut butter and jelly and all. And you know what he does? Do you know what he does? He's, welcome! Welcome! See, that's why over and over again in scripture, we have these commands to pray. You know why he has to command us to pray? Because we're not really convinced he wants to hear from us. So he commands us, and over and over and over again, he tells us, I want to hear, I want, come, come messy, come with your PBJ, come with your mud, come with your doubt, come with your questions, come on. Why? Because I love you. How do I know? I look at the manger. I look at Calvary. So we're more welcomed and loved and welcomed than we ever dared believe. We are in Christ, so our sins are forgiven. Acts 10.43 says, To him, all the prophets, that's to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, everyone, who believes in him I'm going to everyone who gets their act together Is that what it says? Everyone who does their devotions every day. Everyone who does their list. Everyone who is nice to their children. Everyone who's nice to their husband. Everyone who's a good employee. Everyone who's a good church member. Is that what it says? What does it say? Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
Forgiveness of sins through his name. See, Jesus Christ lived perfectly and then died this substitutionary death in our place, the death we were supposed to die. He died so that when we believe in him, he takes upon himself all of our sin and grants to us all his righteousness. Jesus bore the full penalty penalty for our guilt and sin. Jesus bore the full penalty for our guilt and sin. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus Christ. We need to wrestle with this. When we see that baby, it needs to be more to us than, oh, look, there's a little baby. We need to see what he's doing. There he is being righteous for me as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, as an adult, from birth all the way through death. There he is being righteous for me in my place so that he can hang on a tree in my place and take God's curse from me so that I will be completely forgiven and righteous. That's what he's doing. You see, that's what he's doing. We are completely justified. Now, let's talk about what that word justified means, shall we? Because I want you to tell me. What does the word justify mean? Just as... Good, right. The word justified, it's really one of those beautiful theological words we can't lose. The word justified means just as if I had never sinned. So when God looks at you, when God looks at you, what does he see? Does he see your record of sin? I'm going to ask again. When God looks at you, does he see, if you believe, when God looks at you, what does he see? Does he see your record of sin? No, he doesn't. Do you believe that? I mean, I know you sort of believe it. Or you wouldn't be here, right? You sort of believe it. So you get up in the morning, I get up in the morning, and I pray. And what I pray generally is, my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, and may your will be done by me on earth today as it's done by the angels, as it's done by the Son in heaven. I pray that in the morning, generally. And then I get to the end of the day. (laughs) And I see all of the ways in which I did not do as well. Right? And maybe sort of outwardly I looked okay. But in my heart, not really loving my neighbor, wishing that person that's going 25 miles an hour in front of me in a 50 mile an hour zone, just sort of wishing him away. 
See, hating my neighbor in my heart. Um, not, not really speaking with kindness, not thinking about how much I've been loved when I speak to other people. Spending too much time doing what I want to do instead of laying my life down for other people. When God looks at me at the end of the day, see, I look at myself at the end of the day and I go, oh, I'm, so, oh, I'm just such a loser. I'm, I'm so, oh, it's so awful. When God looks at me at the end of the day, does he see my sin? Come on, you can say it. Okay. So at the end of the day, when you're like beating yourself up, you know, that whole thing, feeling badly about who you are, how you lived your life, at the end of the day, that thing, you say, God, I know you don't see me like that. Thank you. So justification is not simply, though, just as if I had never sinned. When God looks at you, it is just as if I had never sinned, but it's not simply that. You know what else it is? Just as if I had always obeyed. That's a mind blower, isn't it? So there's baby Jesus being perfectly righteous in your place. Because the record of all of his righteousness throughout his entire life has been given to you. Imputed to you. So when God looks at you, it's not just that he sees you without sin, which ain't bad, right? He sees you as being perfectly obedient your entire life. Yeah, huh? Now, how would you live if you lived in the light of that all the time? So free, right? So joyful. You know how Nehemiah 8.10 says that the joy of the Lord is your? See, you know why most of the time we don't have a lot of strength? It's because we don't live in the light of this joy. See, Jesus, his perfect record of always having loved everyone in his family, all of his friends, everyone in his village, everybody he ever came in contact with, and his neighbor is himself, when God looks at you, that's the record he has, you have before him. So when God looks at you, he says, this is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That's pretty good, huh? But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. This is Romans 4.25. It will be counted to us who believe in him. Believe. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So when Jesus Christ was raised, you were justified. So that when God looks at you, this is my perfect daughter who's always obeyed perfectly. And you know what? That's your record, not just for stuff in the past. That's your record all the way through, all the way through your life till death. Perfect. Now, how are you going to live in light of that? Free, joyfully, obedient? Yeah, sure. Of course. 
How would I not respond in obedience to that? We're free from slavery to the law now. Romans 7, 6 says, But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And Romans 8, 4 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the, ple- in the flesh in order that, get this, listening, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. All of the law's requirements, all of the law's requirements have been fulfilled in you. Do you know why? Not because you have a good list and you've checked it off. All of the requirements of the law have been fulfilled before God by you because the Son did it in your place. We have the righteousness of God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then Romans, excuse me, Isaiah 53 says, out of the anguish of his soul, Jesus' soul, that anguish, out of the anguish of Jesus' soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Okay, so look at the person next to you and say, I have been accounted righteous. Isn't that good news? I mean, really, isn't it good news? Like many of you are smiling. That's what you should be doing. Been accounted righteous. Why? Because you did your whole list? Because you believe. And if you believe, you've been accounted righteous. And here's Paul in Roman, excuse me, Philippians 3. I count everything as loss. And, that, and when he's talking there, he's talking about all of, his, all of his reputation about being a good, righteous, law-abiding citizen. Okay, that's what he's talking about there. All of his goodness. I count all of my goodness as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. All of those good things that you think are somehow going to merit God's favor from you. Paul says, I count them as dung. That's actually what it is there in the Greek. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, get this, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has forgiven your sin? 
Do you believe that you are completely righteous before God right now? Come on. Come on. You can say it. It's okay. See, somehow, somehow we sort of feel like, oh, I don't know. That's kind of edgy. I don't want to get all the way there. That's not properly sort of properly kind of, you know, reverent. Can I tell you that that's not godliness that's stopping you from saying that? It's unbelief. That's simply, it's just unbelief. Okay? So I'll ask you again. (laughs) Do you believe that right now before God, you have the righteousness of Christ? And when you stand before God tonight... This afternoon, in prayer, you're coming clothed, not naked, okay? Completely clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Oh, I know, huh? Yay, right? See, and what that does for us is that's a great big, (gasps) I can stop trying to Prove to you and everybody else around me and my own heart that I'm really good enough, doggone it. I have the righteousness of Christ. That's all I need. You see, we are sinful and flawed, yet loved and welcomed. And Paul is talking here about his kinsmen, the Jews, and he said, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. Do you ever seek to establish your own righteousness? They did not submit to God's righteousness. See, are you willing to submit to God's righteousness? And what that means is you say, I'm, I, I, Nothing in my hands I bring. Sing that song. (laughs) Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Write that song. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. I I have nothing. I have nothing to merit your favor. I can't pray enough. I can't work hard enough. I can't repent enough. I can't be obedient enough. To merit your favor, I either either accept it by faith or I don't have it at all. I have to submit to the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. For Christ, get this, this is Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Do you believe Now, see, I'm not saying to you, go live any way you want. Because now in light of this love, why would you? But I'm just saying, you're not going to merit God's favor. Understand that he's already given it to you. So then, I'm going to close now. Give yourself a gift this year. Rest fully in his love. Rest in the righteousness that he's earned for you. Rest in the fact that he's paid the penalty for your sin. And when you see a manger scene, think, there is Jesus being righteous for me. There is Jesus bearing my flesh to be righteous in my place. See, that's what he's doing there. There he is throughout his entire life, incarnate life. And then when you see a cross, 
think. There he is again, being deserted by his father and having the wrath of God poured out on his head in my place. Why? So that I can stand before God and know that he loves me and he welcomes me and he forgives me and that I'm righteous in his sight and that when he looks at me, he says, you are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? So how do you usually respond to this holiday? It's like, oh, I just how I'm going to get everything done. I don't have any honey. And they always ask for those presents. I don't know. Right? Just, okay, I mean, you know, that's sort of part of what it means. But really, that's not what it means, is it? See, what it means is you're righteous. You're forgiven and you're righteous, and let that truth permeate your soul. How do the truths of God's love for you in Christ transform your attitude toward this holiday? Now, I'm going to pray for you. We've covered a lot of ground. And what has to happen is the Holy Spirit has to work. Because I don't know about you, but I can't believe this unless the Holy Spirit works. Right? I mean, who can believe that there's a God that's this good? I can't believe that he's this good unless the Holy Spirit works. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to work. Father, would you please, by your Spirit, convince us that you love us like this, And that when we think about our lives, maybe we think about some sin we've committed in the past that we think is really terrible. Or maybe some sin we commit every day and we think that that's what you think of us. Or we think that we have to defend ourselves in front of other people. Or we think we have to demand our own rights. Or we think we have to demand respect or demand that people approve of us, or work really, 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 really hard so that we can get you like us. Forgive us for our unbelief and help us believe that what you have said about us is true, which is that we have the righteousness of God because Jesus Christ came as a baby And lived an entire life as a human in our place so that he could transfer all of his goodness to us and take upon himself all of our sin. Thank you. May we be truly grateful this season and always. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.